the moment, the first time I saw somebody cry in medicine from happiness was, it was a different feeling. Because, you know, sometimes medicine isn't always, you know, the, the greatest experiences for, for patients. You know, sometimes you're introducing hurt or pain into people's lives. But I actually was OB-GYN when I was able to, to assist somebody in delivering a baby, which was a Nigerian baby by random chance. Um, it was my very first uh, delivery. And watching those the whole family like cry and smile, it was just, it was everything I wanted to be a part of. of the Delaware College Scholars Podcast. Today's episode is special as I had the pleasure to speak with one of the original student advisors of the program and a good friend since high school, Nana Amakiri. Nana, who recently matched with the Moran Eye Center in Utah, walks us through his medical school journey, tells us why giving back is so important to him, and how he has overcome the imposter syndrome. There's nothing better than seeing your friends go out and achieve their dreams, which is exactly what Nana has done. I'm proud of him, and I hope that you can learn a thing or two from our conversation. As always, if you could subscribe, rate, review, and share the pod with family, friends, or anyone who might be interested in the medical field, that'd be awesome. Appreciate y'all, and hope you enjoy. We are now joined by one of my favorite teammates, co-workers, and just a good buddy, Nana Amakiri. What's up, man? How's it going? <laughs> Everything's going well on my end. How about you? Living the dream, buddy. As, awesome. As someone who has been successful at the high school, college, and now medical school levels, I want to know, who stressed the importance of education early on in your life? Well, it's definitely my parents. I think the almost the immigrant mindset in general is usually to, to prioritize what can make you successful in America, you know, and that, that usually, I guess, is based off of education, especially West African, Nigerian specifically, but they, they constantly stress for my siblings and I, you know, to push and uh, to really not give up, you know, and so that's always been my motto, regardless of what the outcome might be, just keep pushing. Knowing you and your family fairly well, did it yeah. help having two older siblings who were setting a good example for you? A great example, honestly. I know where we grew up, people definitely there are people doing good things uh, left and right, but it wasn't necessarily the norm to say like you know aspire to, to go to medical school or really like do many things in the academic sense. Uh, so having my siblings, first my older sister, she really paved the way. Then my older brother, of course, being a year apart, just constantly showing me the right things to do. It wasn't really a question of whether or not I follow. It was just so easy for me because uh, they made it look so easy themselves, you know. Are they having conversations with you or is it more they are just showing you and you're just following their lead? It's, it's less even about what they're doing, but more so how they're doing it. So. I know, like, especially early on, like, say, high school, I, I'd watch, you know, my older brother, Ike, early mornings, like, just studying when nobody else was, you know, and being, like, a competitive guy I am, I'm not going to not do the same thing. I was an early morning kind of guy. I'd go late night, but that set the tone for me to, to, to push even further. You know, every time I thought I was working hard, if I see one of them working harder, it's, it's 
enough for me to push myself even further. So it's less about the conversations. We, we talk about, you know, academics, but like when I'm back home with family, that's like on the back burner. I'd rather talk about the Knicks and the Nets, you know, and how they're doing versus, uh, uh, you know, our lives, really, our everyday lives. I have conversations about academics all the time. Yeah. So it's it's nice to, to, to get away from that at times. See, I would enjoy rather talking about your – academic pursuits uh, rather than your crappy basketball team uh, uh, but we'll, we'll we'll move on um hey, I, know, I, I, I know i know i'm gonna enjoy it while i can i know, I know. cheating your way to a championship um so what Great. what what specifically drew you to science right like like why not math english like like why science science was easily my worst subject honestly my entire life from middle school i remember being just challenging high school same thing but it was less about the actual subject and more about the end goal. So I, I always, in my head, I dreamed of the moment of getting into medical school for, for years, really, knowing that I've always wanted to be an individual who can help others, either socially, academically, uh, athletically even. Medical school kind of always painted that picture for itself in my head. So it was really less about science. I, I really struggled with science when I compared it to other, to other subjects, but I knew that where there's a will, there's a way. And so I just, you know, kept grinding through it, figure out like how to make it easier for myself. Cause it really wasn't easy at all. Let's unpack your journey then to med school. And, and we'll start with your senior year in high school at St. Andrews. So I, I guess I want to know what stood out the most about Cornell other than the colors are, similar to St. Andrews, and obviously it is this this incredible school. But are you looking specifically at, hey, they have a major I like, or I like the campus? Like, like why Cornell? Yeah, I, I so I, one of our close family friends actually went to Cornell, so it was kind of just put in the back of my head early on. I knew that, like, there's plenty of schools that offer you the opportunity to, you know, get into medical school later. You can go honestly anywhere, and, and as long as you put your head down and, and do the right thing, uh, uh, you can – get yourself to medical school. But of course the name of Cornell and, you know, other institutions does make it easier in that sense. So I, uh, when I, when I was first exposed to, to Cornell by a family friend, I really kind of like just had that dream in the back of my head for a while. I applied early there and I was just, you know, praying I could get in. Uh, and, and thankfully things worked out. Many of our Delaware college scholars, students who are interested in medicine and we have a lot of them want to choose oh, yeah. like a pre-med major. And I know when you were right. a student advisor, you sort of uh, dispelled this idea. But on this podcast, which I will force scholars to listen to this summer, can you just dispel <laughs> the idea of a pre-med major and explain yeah. why majoring in biology, which I think is what you majored in at Cornell, yeah. right? Yeah. So why majoring in biology helped prepare you for a career in medicine? So I'll say, that, I'll say two things. Some Certain schools do it differently. So I know – I can't remember which student I was talking to, but in DCS, some some student was saying they they were at a school that specifically had a pre-med major, whereas Cornell itself, they didn't have a specific major called pre-med, but uh, there's just a plethora of, uh, of majors that kind of fit that criteria. I know when I was going in, I, I kind of had the same mindset. It's sort of a make sense mindset for med school. I thought biology, that's what all you know med students probably did, you know, so I, so that's what I pursued. Uh, in hindsight, I wish I kind of did differently. I know my best friend who also was a uh, pre-med at the time, he was a nutrition major. And a lot of his classes were just kind of pertinent to medical school in general and the MCAT and, and things of that nature. I'm not saying nutrition 
for all schools would be the same, but it's more so asking those questions early on, like what what class or what set of classes can I take that would set me up best for, for a medical school journey? And not to say biology didn't help, but I really do like a lot of the, the materials I saw my, uh, my close friend, you know, studying at the time. So it was being willing to ask questions early that I didn't take advantage of that I wish I could do again if I had to, to, to repick my major. Let's touch on the MCAT part of this because I remember when we were at DCS as student advisors, I was working out for my mediocre Division Three career and you were studying for the MCAT, which, I was pro- working out with you. <laughs> uh, uh, which probably says a lot about where we both are in life right now. But so, oh, so tell our audience, I guess, when, when you began studying for the MCAT and maybe some best practices for doing so effectively. I think the... I think I did DCS two months before I started, or sorry, two months before I took the MCAT. And so I also, so DCS was a month long, and then I had a summer research program the next month. So in those two months, I was sort of studying for the MCAT, which in hindsight, I really do regret. So so there's a lot of different methods and and ways in which to, to combat any type of standardized exam, but one of the most important things is really giving yourself the time to, to study. Um, and I, I didn't necessarily do that. I thought I kind of had the Superman approach. I could, you know, balance all these things, you know, get some research in, help uh, people I really wanted to help out, and and uh, also study from the MCAT. And I, I really need to segment that approach a little bit better. You know, maybe clearing out a month just to study for the MCAT. That sounds, you know, more efficient to me and, and, and a better use of, or a better way to study for that exam. But right now, like, I think there's so many different resources and I can't necessarily say what the best approach for the MCAT is, but I do know that I think I learned good approaches for standardized exams in medical school via Reddit. And that's a resource I never utilized, honestly, at all before medical school, but I've learned so much about how, what other people are doing and how they're doing it through that, I guess, database. And so I'd urge any pre-med or even med student listening to this to really Google online or use Reddit and just find out what other people are doing as soon as you can to, to maximize your own study. And is that as easy as just typing in like Reddit med school and you'll find stuff? I think yeah, if you're studying for a specific exam, I honestly do think it's that easy. Okay. Um, you, you type it in and then the whatever, the, I don't even know if they, most upvoted posts are usually pertinent to, to study habits. So you, you, you can quite easily find those things. Uh, not, maybe not necessarily med school, but like study studying for the MCAT or studying for step one in medical school or step two, you know, different medical exams, just utilizing what other people are doing and, and not thinking that you got it all yourself. So obviously when you're at Cornell, you're doing well academically. You are studying for the MCAT two months beforehand. I guess what other ways did you set yourself apart from other med school applicants? From, for getting into medical school? I think I stayed true to, to my interests. So I never, I never stopped doing the things I, I've always loved doing. So, I, I mean, I played basketball throughout college. I, you know, participated in this and that activity because I enjoyed doing it. And I, I think uh, having those genuine interests and not abandoning them, you know, for, for academic pursuits is, is important for your own for your own mental health, but also uh, to show that what kind of individual you are to those medical, medical schools. And then also, I guess, developing a relationship with faculty is, is, it can be difficult, especially if you go to a bigger school. I... I remember my, one of my first classes, there was like 300 students, and I was taken aback by that. And I didn't necessarily immediately engage with my faculty early on in my experience. But later on, I did, and I started 
really culminating those relationships for letters and re- different research opportunities and just different experiences in general that I can learn from. So uh, whether you go to a school that has 40,000 people or, or, or 3,000, just making sure you really engage with those faculty members because they know better. It's the same, the same theme, you know. What are some best practices with engaging amongst faculty members? Is it as simple as shooting them an email, going up to them after class? Just because I know, again, if you're in these larger classes, it can be intimidating maybe to stay oh, after yeah. class and walk up to that professor. So Definitely. maybe in your experience, what are some best practices for forming those relationships? Yeah, most of the time, these professors have like office hours. I think nowadays, I don't know how many or when we're going to get back into classes, you know, live classes, but if you can, it's always best to do things like that in person. Uh, emails, sometimes people respond, sometimes people don't. But when you show genu- genuine interest, uh, I think any professor likes to see that and likes to see that. It honestly makes them feel important in that sense, and it makes them feel like what they're providing you is important. And that's, I think, the best way to get to, to learning more about them and, and their class and what they have to offer you. I would imagine, too engaging with those professors might open up research opportunities oh yeah okay oh yeah definitely so that's definitely. true absolutely yeah i had uh if i didn't get into medical school my my first attempt i would have done a research program with a professor i, I had met in one of my neurobiology classes it was through a relationship we had developed and we had talked about you know the whole application process he was like walking me through it uh, hand in hand you know so i really do think it can't hurt you to, to develop those relationships why texas tech for med school you know my family moved down to El Paso uh, a couple of years ago. In-state tuition is real, but also it's a it's a fantastic program. People are uh, Texas the Texas hospitality thing is a real concept that I didn't actually think or realize how much it existed until I came down here. I remember the first place I went to a grocery shop, they were trying to push my cart back to the, my car, and I, at first I was like, "Oh, get away from me!" Like I thought they were taking my things, you know. But but it's just like the the mentality down here is different. It kind of brings out the best in people if you want it to. Uh, so I I saw that on my interview day. It was actually my very last interview. And I, I remember seeing it. Just everyone seemed personable and seemed like they enjoyed being there. Uh, so that really, really drew me to, to the environment in general. You recently matched with Moran Eye Center. So you're about to become an eye doctor. As someone who is entirely ignorant to this process, like in what year, at what point did you begin this path to become an eye doctor while at Tech? Yeah, I think medical school is interesting because usually the first two years is book-based, so you're, you're studying um, a lot of the information, and the last two is, is usually clinical. So sometimes students can struggle with learning what they want to do or what they're interested in until honestly it can get a little bit too late. Whereas, like, by your third and fourth year, you kind of want to know what you're doing to have research that's appropriate and meet people again, meet the faculty and, and staff that might be able to assist you with learning more about certain things. Uh, so I, I, it wasn't until my third year, I did a away rotation at, or sorry, not away rotation, but a rotation with uh, a Midland doc out here. And I honestly just immediately fell in love with everything about it. Not necessarily like the eyeball itself fascinates me, but really what you can do for a patient. And the tangible outcomes are just huge. Uh, someone comes in thinking, you know, the blurry vision may not be able to see again. That's what might be in their head, and they leave with with vision, you know. And that's a, such a phenomenal feeling. I've seen people cry in front of me from it. You know, it's just something I want to be a part of, and, and the kind of thing I went into medicine for to begin with. So, 
for me, it was easy. As soon as I saw it, I was, I'm just thanking God that I was able to, to, to finally see it. It took me a couple of years, but I do feel blessed to be at, to, to have been put in that position to shadow someone who's really changing lives. Yeah, I was about to make a joke about eyeballs, and then you got serious <laughs> on me, and then so now I, uh, yeah, I understand uh, why now. I, so as somebody that, I mean, we've known each other now for, I don't like, I don't know, like 14 years or so. Um, yeah, so, probably. So a long time. <laughs> I, and, and you've always been, to me, you've always seemed so confident and, and sure of yourself in a good way, right? Because you put in the work and you know that that work will lead to these results. So I guess I want to know, have you ever had a moment where you have second guessed yourself on this journey? Because again, knowing you from age, what you started at St. Andrews at 13 13. years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. And and like I knew in in being close with your brother Ike, and then obviously being close with you, this is Nana's dream and he's attacking it and, and being successful. So I yeah. guess, yeah, just tell me about a moment where you may have second-guessed yourself. Or maybe you haven't, right? No, I absolutely have. Honestly, I could say way more often than you think. I think there's so many moments where I, I was like, you know, can I do this? Am I, am I good enough to, to, to be able to do this, you know? Or sometimes even do I want to do this? Like, there, 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 there's a lot of times where doubt definitely, I guess, comes into my head. And I think one of the first instances I really saw that was in high school. Science, again, being my, my worst subject and wanting to go into medicine sounds like an issue. sounds like something I, I need to fix. And the only thing you can do, I think, especially with St. Andrews, it's such an environment where nobody's ever going to tell you you can't do something. No one's ever going to do that. In fact, they're only going to push you towards accomplishing whatever your goals are if, if you make it known. So I, it was such a supportive environment for me there that I knew that you know failure – is it really, it's, it's an option only if I want it to be an option. But yeah, definitely a lot of setbacks. My first exam at Cornell, I actually failed. And it, and it was a chemistry exam and they sent out every, like I think a lot of people failed that exam, but they sent out an email to everyone who had failed saying you, you might want to switch your major, you know, because they knew that a bunch of people come in pre-med. And I actually knew a lot of people who switched from pre-med to another major immediately after that. And for me, it was a humbling moment. And I've had many of those throughout my journey, but and I anticipate more, many more to come, but uh, it's never going to stop me from wanting to do it. And again, I think I have such a strong support system with my family, seeing you know guys like you who in, on the sports field never gave up on whatever the task might be. You know, no, the work ethic, <laughs> the work ethic really shined through. So I know I can't give up on my pursuits when I, I know I have so many people either rooting for me or, or showing me that it's possible. What? What are you most proud of? You've accomplished a lot, and whether it's the gold, humanism, I'm not even sure if I'm saying that right, Honor (laughs) Society president, you're the Dean's Ambassador president, Men of Substance award winner, like I can just continue to list your accolades. So, yeah, what are you most proud of? I'm easily most proud of when I'm able to see someone else succeed or when I'm able to influence someone else's success. You know, I, I talked to Gene Philo, what was it, like a month and a half ago, two months ago, after listening to his podcast about his medical journey itself and, and hearing those kind of stories and hoping to be influential in those kind of people's lives is, is, is all I want. You know, uh, DCS, a program I want to be a part of in the future because it's, it brings me so much joy to hear that this person 
accomplish their dreams and maybe I had a hand in that. Honestly, I, I've had so many people assisting me throughout the way through from White Foundation in high school to, you know, uh, various people I've met throughout college or, or summer programs I, I was a part of. It only makes too much sense to, to be able to give back. And when I see like my little brother getting to medical school, that's what brings me the most joy. You know, a lot of like the accomplishments, they mean nothing to me unless I'm able to, to, to extend them to someone else as well. You and I were the original male student advisors. And whenever I connect with cohort one students to this day, they always ask me about you, which can be kind of annoying because I'm like, yes, he's doing great. He's awesome. He's incredible. But I want to spend some time here and just ask you like what you loved most about your time mentoring students at DCS. And the second part, how do you continue to mentor younger students in the medical field today? So I think the moments that we shared like on dorm, uh, sorry, so when I was, you know, on the dorm with a lot of those students, I, uh, I had the opportunity to engage in conversations and really get to know people on the dorm. And, and, and those relationships we, we, we made and experiences we were able to share made it all feel worth it. You know, I've, again, been part of so many programs. I can list maybe 10 programs I've been part of that had a hand in my success and my journey. And being able to see any one of those students accomplish whatever they, you know, set out to accomplish makes that all worth it for me. And we had so much fun during that summer. I remember kickball and uh, random events that summer. But really seeing them put the time in and, and, and achieving their own goals or, or getting there is, is all that matters to me at the end of the day. And then, I'm uh, sorry, the second question was... How do you continue to... Because obviously, as we've talked about, right, mentoring, giving back is really important to you and who you are. So how are you right. continuing to mentor students in the medical field today? I've been able to be a part of programs that are like pipeline programs for, for medical students of color and, 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 and people from disadvantaged backgrounds in general. So not medical students, but pre-medical students of, of those backgrounds. And it's been like this program called JAMP, PEP, SEP from, from Texas Tech. They allowed me to be a part of those programs and, and, and help students who uh, uh, were interested in these paths. And then um, uh, we have like educational seminars uh, for, for local students out here. It's called EDME in Midland and Lubbock, Texas. And it's a way to actually show high school students what medical school or, or certain medical professions look like because so many people are actually completely oblivious to it. So being able to expose them to that, having a speaker from cardiology, speaker from a random, you know, just random specialties left and right, talk to them and, and tell them about their field. It's, it's cool to see. And it's also cool for me to see because I'm, I'm interested as well, you know, seeing those different things and seeing what I might be interested in. So, yeah, there's there's constantly been different opportunities, but people are always reaching out to me, Twitter, you know, various social media uh, platforms to to hear about what they can do to get to wherever they're trying to go in, in medicine. And I'm always open to that. Again, people have taken time out for me, so I'm going to take out time for other people two times if I can. What happens next for you? So you recently matched at the Moran Eye Center, as I mentioned, uh, which is in yeah. Utah. So so how long are you there? And then and then what's the plan uh, moving forward? Yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm there for four years. Plan moving forward really is still variable. Uh, there's fellowship opportunities, usually one to two year programs, whereby I'll become a specialist in my specialty. So uh, my field of ophthalmology, I can 
say, become a glaucoma specialist, plastic specialist, et cetera, et cetera. And that's a long ways down the road. I have no idea yet what direction I might take, but the, the learning never ends. That's, that's really how I see it. Um, it's four years of training, but it's a really a lifelong journey of, of learning and trying to be the best provider I can be. What's your ultimate goal? Yeah, I, I still don't have a clue about that. I, I think there, it sounds great to, to own your own practice, um, but I know there's so many like details I, I still am yet to learn about that. Uh, then academia uh, is really interesting to me because you have an opportunity to you know both take care of patients and constantly teach uh, incoming residents and medical students that are interested in the field. Uh, so that's something that's been on, at the forefront of my mind. I think I'd be interested in doing that, and and uh, I've always been I've always looked up to the people who have done that in my life, especially in Lubbock and the people I've been able to actually see. So I'm hoping to be able to do something like that in the future, but but still way too early for me to to really know and really decide. But we'll find out soon enough. I appreciate you sharing your journey there. We're going to transition to our Mad Minute segment, which is just rapid fire Q&A between you and me. So what's your favorite food? Favorite food is pounded yam and a goosey soup. It's a Nigerian dish. We almost ate it every day growing up before high school, so I I absolutely love it. I have a bunch of uh, soup in my freezer right now, and I'm actually probably going to eat that immediately after this. Who's your favorite athlete growing up? Favorite athlete was Vince Carter. Big on the hops. <laughs> what are you watching on TV right now? Right now, I'm, uh, it's a reality TV. Uh, Survivor is probably the biggest one that I'm trying to finish, but yeah. Favorite song? Ooh, I would say Bigger Picture by Lil Baby. Can't say I've heard of it. <laughs> um, if, 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 if we went to a gym right now, and I gave you 100 free throw attempts. How many are you making? And you know I know your basketball ability here, so you can't BS me. All right, I'm probably making two because all I know is I need two in the beginning for any free throw. You never shoot more than two. No one's found me on the three-point line, so I only need two to begin with. <laughs> that's that's, <laughs> that's such a lame answer. No, I want, like, if you took 100, how many would you make? Is it 50? Honestly, 60, honestly I, I probably am making – I'm probably making 50 because 100 sounds like a lot, and I'm not in that shape to be shooting that much. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'll say 50. I'll confidently say 50. Scariest moment as a med student? When the first time I had to intubate somebody, and I didn't necessarily do it properly, and when things aren't going well in medicine, oftentimes there are, there are sounds to indicate that things aren't going well. So it was scary. I'm like, oh, my God, am I about to, you know, injure this individual but everything worked out fine but that was definitely my scariest moment i'm scared just thinking about that now buddy uh <laughs> what's been your favorite moment as a med student man i think there's there's so many moments where i i feel lucky to to, to be able to do what i'm going into but i would say the moment the first time i saw somebody cry in medicine from happiness was it was a different feeling because you know sometimes medicine isn't always you know the the greatest experiences for for patients you know sometimes you're introducing hurt or pain into people's lives but i actually was OB-GYN when i was able to to assist somebody in delivering a baby which was a nigerian baby by random chance Um, it was my very first uh delivery and watching those the whole family like cry and smile it was just it was everything i wanted to be a part of and that was easily my favorite moment I appreciate you sharing that. Who has been your yeah. biggest mentor or your most influential teacher? Yeah, I, I, I think it, it, I got to say my, it's got to be honestly my older brother. 
because he taught me, especially at a young age, like the the need, the necessity for hard work. And honestly, it, I would be lying if I said anyone was a bigger teacher in my life because I, I straight up my entire life have looked at what he's been doing and I've mimicked it to some degree, you know, and I've always tried to refine certain edges. So, you know, when it came to sports, it was, all right, this is how he did, you know, this is how he crossed over. This is how he shot the ball. I'm going to mimic that. How can I perhaps improve that? Never did. But I was going to say, well, maybe <laughs> I'm glad that Ike is your biggest teacher. Unfortunately, he did teach you how to shoot a basketball and that, right, didn't, and right. that didn't work out well for anybody. But <laughs> Yeah, but he, and academically, uh, yeah. of course, like seeing his success on the, right. the uh, in the classroom, how can I both copy that or, you know, elevate myself past it? He's definitely been my biggest teacher, and, and I've never lauded him enough for it, but this is perhaps the platform to start doing so. Uh, but yeah, he, he's, he's been my biggest inspiration throughout my life. Shout out, Ike. We will send him this two-minute yes, clip, and he can uh, <laughs> he can appreciate it. Michael Jordan or LeBron James? I, I'm, I'm big on LeBron James on that. I just Making teammates better is, is my priority, so I'm giving it to him. Yeah, you still have terrible sports opinions, too. Uh, what's your favorite <laughs> DCS memory? Favorite DCS memory, honestly, kickball. I, I loved I loved the joy that everyone had when we were playing kickball that, that first time outside. And I, I want to say there was like pizza afterwards, uh, if my memory served me, serves me correctly. Uh, it was just a joyous moment. Everyone came together and really had a lot of fun. Had a lot of fun together. Three words to describe yourself. Three words to describe myself. I would say hard. Ooh, hardworking is technically two words, but... We'll say it's one word, I think. Well, you, uh, check me on that. You can hyphen it, right? So hard I think you can hyphen yeah. it. Let's, yeah, let's go word. hardworking. You're the Ivy League grad here, by the way. So I, <laughs> you should be English. trusting me. Hey, English, <laughs> English is far away from me. <laughs> uh, I'll say hardworking, curious, and then I want to say respectful. So um, whether it be cultural humility, um, which I, I learned about actually today. I was talking to somebody earlier today. But it's a term to describe beyond cultural competence, beyond learning or respecting that we, we come from different cultures, really allowing yourself to have other people talk about their own journeys and not assuming you know about them. You know, so cultural humility almost invites uncomfortable conversations to our doorsteps. And so I think that that that's stems from having respect for, for other people and their journey um, and, and respecting the fact that your own journey has been different from perhaps a lot of individuals really has helped me in medicine and patient conversation, but also with my colleagues, learning how to, to, to appreciate that I'm not necessarily going to always understand your gestures or your, your anything, just really anything about you, but I'm going to take the time to listen to you and let you detail that for me and what those things mean. So, yeah. I appreciate that, man. You're uh, <laughs> you're dropping knowledge on this. It's very hard. It's very hard to transition, but I am. I will attempt to transition. Gotcha. Ring the bell segment. Same two questions to each guest to end the podcast. First one: What's one piece of advice you would give to your 16 year old self? Yeah, so I would say, I would say, perhaps the thing I struggled with most when I was younger, and still today for sure, is is almost an imposter syndrome. It was constantly, I think when, whenever you're put in a situation where nobody necessarily is like identical to your upbringing or, or looks like you and things of that nature, it's, it's, it's how do you accept that you still belong here? 
And so with that, I'll also reference the same doctor who quoted John Maxwell earlier today. He said that no one ever goes uphill by accident. And so although sometimes it does take a little luck to, to, to achieve success, you know, being ready for that luck, like Aline always says, is, is certainly something that I should tell my 16-year-old self. So I'm more comfortable in those uh, uncomfortable environments because I do think, again, being a hard worker and aspiring to, to get somewhere someday can really take you somewhere and uh, it proves you belong in any conversation. So that's what I would tell to my 16-year-old self and anybody struggling with whether or not they, they think that they, they should be in their respective position. Can we touch on that imposter syndrome yeah. a bit? I know this is supposed to be sort of the end here, but as, as somebody who is in the medical field that is dominated by white people and you're not really seeing a lot of people of color in those positions and so you can't identify with those people. So how did you overcome that imposter syndrome of like, yes, maybe I don't see myself in many of these people, but I still belong here. So I'll start with, I'll actually start with high school since that was the first, very first time for me where I was like, whoa, like, you know, my first, I think my first one was a quarter. I think we had a quarter system and it was, it wasn't good. The grades weren't good. I, I, I wasn't satisfied with, you know, the grades I saw. And then immediately your first thought is, you know, am I good enough to be here? Again, fortunately for me, imposter syndrome is easy to combat when you have such examples in your life and your family who show you every day that. They're killing it themselves. You know, it's possible. Uh, so the, I think for me, the only way to, to combat imposter syndrome, especially early on where there was such evidence of perhaps I don't belong, was work harder. You know, I think I've always shocked myself every phase of my life with just how much further I could work or further I could push myself, how much harder I could work hard, or work. And it just reminds me that, you know, so high school, or those two-hour study halls wasn't doing enough for me. Let me work before that. Let me work after that. You know, like how can we? We don't have to necessarily be as smart as every other other person in the classroom. But I know the one thing I can control is how hard I work. You know, and so when I first failed my my, my first uh, chemistry test in college, I wasn't fret. You know, I wasn't fretting when they sent me that email to switch my major because it's you know I've, I've been here before. I actually had the exact same experience in high school. And it worked out just fine. And, and it worked out fine again in college. So I would always say working hard is the solution to imposter syndrome. And then reflecting on your experiences as much as you can, and especially when you were working hard, can help you justify why you're in the position that you're in. Thank you for sharing your perspective there on, on such an important conversation. I know you have to go very soon, so, so let's wrap this thing up. Last question for you. What's your why, man? Yeah, I was actually just talking to a medical student yesterday about this. Uh, he's writing a personal statement for – he's applying to residencies. And, again, it, it's it's about addressing your why. And I think for everyone, that's going to look different, even if you're all going into the same field. And for me, I, I don't think the why – my why is about money or uh, status or anything like that, but, but really about helping others and seeing – the joy you can bring to other people. You know, I, I actually want to be a basketball coach one day, whether it's while I'm practicing or, or after I retire, because I've seen the impact, you know, Terrell had in my life and like, you know, 
those coaches that I had in high school, you know, affected me. And I want to be able to affect, you know, young kids like that in the future. And it's, again, the why behind that is it, it just feels good. It, it feels good to be able to impact those people, have people look up to you and set a, the right example for them and hope that you can influence their life in a, in a positive direction. And so, yeah, that's my, that's definitely my why. Hey man, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. You, uh, Absolutely. you're one of my favorite people, you know that, and, uh, you're someone that <laughs> I always, and, and you're someone that I will, uh, always root for. So it's, it's been, I appreciate that. it's been really, really cool to see you achieve all of your dreams that you had as that 13 year old skinny freshman to now <laughs> very, skinny. very, very, very skinny and, uh, and not super coordinated to become very, mm-hmm. to become very coordinated and, and very talented. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm just, I'm, I'm a little upset that for my next eye appointment, I have to fly out to Utah, but, um, <laughs> Hey, why not come through? Also, if you, uh, if any of the students want to ever reach out, please feel free to give them my number, preferably medical students, just cause I can, I can best help them. Uh, or pre-medical students, but yeah, please feel free to give them my number, and uh, I'd love to help them out. But yeah. Appreciate you, man, and we'll talk soon, Absolutely. all right? Thanks so much, Jake.